By way of the evening talk, this evening I'd like to give a commentary on a rather well-known passage from one of the Buddhist texts. And this uh, particular uh, passage appears in a text called the Udana. And for those of you who are not uh, familiar with the text, which is sometimes referred to as the Pali Canon, Pali, P-A-L-I, is the language that these texts were recorded in some probably two or three hundred years, several generations after the life of the Buddha. And before then it is said that it was essentially an oral uh, tradition before entering into its written form. And so in these early texts there are around about 20 volumes in the Pali language of statements that the Buddha is reputed to have made. And in any association with those texts, one uses one's discernment essentially to see what is beneficial, useful and uh, insightful. And one of the features of that is that the teachings have an, an application to every single generation of men, women and children who lived on the earth. And there are other aspects of the teaching which are somewhat defined by the actual um, uh, social environmental circumstances of the era. And through familiarity one begins to discern and see and recognize that the vast bulk of the teachings, such as on the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, the Four Foundations for Awareness, the Five uh, Aggregates, the Characteristics of uh, Existence, the Powers of Mind, uh, the Depth of Opening of the Heart, um, Deep Meditative Experiences, Insight and Liberation and Enlightened Life, all of that applies and is as relevant today as it was two and a half thousand years ago. And that's the core body of the teachings and generally referred to as the Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A. And so I'm out of those 20 volumes, I'm picking 10 lines. So, and to give a commentary on those uh, 10 lines. And it's a rather well-known uh, passage from the Pali text, from the uh, word of the Buddha. And the background to it is that there was a uh, wandering sadhu, homeless one, spiritual uh, seeker, whatever we might call, who lived on the uh, west coast of uh, India, as I said, in the state of Maharashtra. And during his period of time of spiritual practices and exposure to the various forms of them, he heard about Siddhartha Gautama, who was being referred to widely as uh, an enlightened and awakened human being, and there was widespread acknowledgement of that. And it aroused his uh, curiosity and from that he made the journey 
it is said, from this part of India uh, up to the Kapilavatu the, and the area of the Sakyan kingdom in the north of uh, India. And when he arrived, he had pressing issues on his um, um, mind, and the core issue was, what is freedom? How to know, how to discover. So this person's name was Bahia, B-A-H-I-Y-A. And it is said that he saw Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, on the, the begging round, as is customary amongst the homeless ones of India, and approached him with his concern, with his issues. And the Buddha is reputed to have uh, told him later, told later on, on the begging round, and it's not the time to speak. And uh, having been one of those who had the privilege for some years in the monkhood of being on the same kind of begging round, the last thing one wants to be bothered with at six o'clock in the morning is people's dharma questions. So no doubt the Buddha had a similar response and told the person to go back to the place where he took the food and wait for him there. Anyway, the guy was persistent and uh, the Buddha caved in, essentially, and responded to his question about what is freedom. And this is the passage. Very, very, uh, very simple, but has depth to it. He said to uh, Bahia, who had asked about all the problems of the way that we relate to the world and and uh, pursuing and the grasping uh, on, onto things and seizing upon things as mine, the my element which factor which comes in and pursues life in the form of what's in it for me, what can I get out, out of it and using throughout the sense doors that kind of relationship and the response of the Buddha was, he said, to Bahia, he said, train yourself. In the seeing, there is only the seen. In the seen, sorry, there is only the seen. In the hearing, there is only the hearing. In the sense, and the sense uh, applies to three sense thoughts here, smell, one taste, the third, and touch, the third. Smell, taste, touch. In the sense, there is only the sense. In the cognized, that means in the recognized, in the known, in what the mind produces, the way the mind perceives whatever, there is only the cognized, only the, what is perceived, only what is known. This is how you train yourself. And so it's, and as a teaching goes, I'll cover the next few lines in a moment, as a teaching goes, it's a very bare-bones teaching. It's a teaching which strips away, essentially, all the metaphysical beliefs, all the uh, ideologies which accompany it, and says, 
fundamentally, if we're to understand life, is to realize its essential nature, if we're to discover the truth of things, however we talk about it, then we must address what is obvious, blatantly obvious to us, and observe that very, very directly. Very, very directly. Without the mind coming in full of the I and the my, and the beginning of distortion that takes place with it. So, in a very bare-bones attention, with regard to the scene, as we notice, we in the scene, that the initial contact with it is simply a patch of colour. That's all, that just scrapes across the eye, runs over, runs over that, an initial sense impression, and almost immediately, so fast, as the Buddha said elsewhere, he couldn't give a simile to describe the speed from a bare patch of colour on the eyeballs to the recognition of it. It would appear that the moment we open our eye, there's instantaneous recognition. And in actuality, there's a bare patch of colour, and the minimal impression, and from within there's a recognition. And it's so fast that one sees the form immediately. Recognition comes in. Acknowledgement there. Upon the bare bones of what is seen, of course, the mind can then enter mind, heart, feelings, thoughts, mood, states of mind, into a relationship with it. And that relationship that it enters into determines our whole sense of what our life is all about. The same principle also and equally applies to what we hear. What does the inner life actually do with what we hear? On that, it's based all the sense of well-being that goes on with ourselves. Based on eye, based on ear, based on the other senses, and based on what's cognized in terms of past, present or future. So this movement from within uses the senses for the point of recognition, and upon that, the interpretation begins. In the scene, there's just the scene. In the scene here could be just human beings, shall we say, it's very simplest description, human beings sitting on the floor, sitting in the chair, paying attention to whatever is occurring. The latter part is a little speculation. And... In the recognition there, there's a bare event which takes place. And he says, in the scene, there's just the scene. And what happens in the movement, of course, <coughs> all manner of other things can arise. The duality can arise in a very no strong way. The duality can arise, oh my God, I am sitting here, and they, or you, are sitting there, and I'm in a special position, having to talk to you, 
and you are in a position of having to listen to me, and oh my dear, there's another half an hour to go, what on earth am I going to say to this mob? And then, so from the, in the scene, there is the moment of, there is the scene, but then can come, arise tension, nervousness, worry, anxiety, and it stopped being in the scene, there's just the scene, in the scene there's all the men looking at me, and all that goes on with that. And some of you will have noticed that when you've been asked to uh, do something uh, public or whatever it might be. So from in the scene, as I say, man comes in with its layers, with its views, with its opinions, with its feelings, with its mood, and it infects all of that. And that movement we call I. That's who I am. That's what I am. And it enters into and clouds over the scene. And we do it with terrible regularity. And we forget, in the scene, there's just a scene. Then sometimes a person, they might hear that, and say, well, that doesn't allow for any movement of mind. And one will end up as a rather cold, damp squib in life. Because where will anything come of connection with life? In the scene, there's just a scene. There's just those bunch of atoms out there sitting on the floor, or that load of genetic material lying around the place, or uh, little pockets of energy or whatever. But even that is to add more to it. All just viewpoints entering into, in the scene, there's just the scene. Similarly, with the herd, and the herd coming in three uh, forms, generally speaking, um, human language and sound, both verbal and physical, sound from uh, the nature, wind and, and birds and animals and rivers and oceans, etc. And sound from that which is, um, has been made by humans, technology and mechanical things, etc. And every one of those can have its impact upon us. And in its impact upon us, just a little bit of sound of information, some words expressed to us, can stop being in the herd, there is just the herd. But in the herd, I heard it, all right. And crisis, tragedy, worry, fear, all being released in just a single sentence. Just a single sentence. And so, teaching them practice, as you said to him, you train yourself, he says, to be able to, in the scene, or in the seeing, whatever, in the scene, there is just the scene, in the herd, there is just the herd, as a practice. So that, in that, one then catches the responses earlier, there's a greater depth of peace within, and from that, 
the sound, words, noise or whatever, or what we see, actually runs through the eyes, through the ears, and its most familiar landing place is peace. When there is in the scene, there's a scene. When there is in, in the herd, there's just a herd. Its most familiar connection place within is peace. It connects with peace. Similarly, with smells, taste, and touch. Because, as I said, so much of our world is obviously involved in the relationship which we have to seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, and touching. In all of that, if we take um, smell or taste or touch there, how, with the movement of mind that goes on, with those, those three uh, senses, the degree of fussiness that can go on in the mind and uh, dissatisfaction and reaction to and how the self can never find any contentment or peace within it. I was reading of one of these um, rock stars. If ever there's a, a group of over-pampered, over-privileged, um, self-centered lot, it's in some of those circles. And, and I wouldn't mind so much if it was just confined to that pampered brigade, but in various other realms and worlds as, as well. And everything has to be for me, for my taste. And as one said in somewhat confessional tones on a radio interview, he was booked in to stay at a hotel when he was doing his uh, uh, gigs and had booked the entire floor of one major hotel for him and his entourage. And when he went into his room, he didn't like the colour of the wall or the flowers that were on the table and absolutely refused to stay there. And he got out, he said, of a Rolls Royce that he was in because the television and the back seat was on the wrong side for him and refused to use it. I heard of a guru still alive and who refuses to get into a used car when arriving at an airport because they have to protect the purity of their vibration and therefore they need a new car. I don't know if they know this somehow I have a doubt they know this passage. <laughs> In the scene there's just the scene, in the herd there's just the herd, in the smelt there's just the smelt, in the taste there's just the taste, in the touch there's just the touch. 
to the credit of the uh, of the of, of, of star, he realized that his selfish pampered existence had gone way over the top that nothing was right nothing was right and when he said nothing was right what he said what he's saying is my mind had become intolerant to the scene, to the herd, to the smell, to the taste and to the touch. Tragic. Tragic. And and not unusual. Not unusual. In the herd, sometimes, we're listening. And in the listening which is uh, occurring there, we'll say, uh, this noise is disturbing me. And one of the teachers in the Northeast Tradition Forest teaches Ajahn Chah. Sometimes a teacher gets more or less remembered for a one-liner, hopefully for a bit more than that, but sometimes for a one-liner or a, or a passage there. Contemporary examples would be uh, the Vietnamese teacher Thich Nhat Hanh, famous uh, um, comment about um, when washing dishes, just wash the dishes. And this is kind of, it's the same, it's almost the same as the Buddha said. And it struck a chord with loads and loads of people. And I've noticed in quite a few centres, I think maybe even um, Gaia House, and other places, and occasionally in people's home, that this passage is pinned up near the kitchen sink doesn't make any difference, but it's a good thought, and, or whatever. And these various passages re- re- resonate very, very uh, uh, strongly there. And Ajahn Chah, in well-known piece often quoted, is, he says, that the, the sound, I can't remember precisely, but the sound doesn't disturb us. But we disturb the sound, and we call it a noise. It's not, the, it's not what's coming there. It's there's a movement in the mind that says this noise is bothering me, and in fact we are bothering it. In the herd, there is just the herd, and as it's said again and again here, it's a practice. It's a practice in just seeing, in just listening, and letting that be steadfast. And one knows in that practice that if the eyes and the sense in the ears are open and expanded in that way, that there can be an authentic feeling and sense that it's almost as though there's nothing here. It's like an open doorway, and they are called the sense doors, which it just passes through and each is a different field or a different dimension. We to see is, shows one dimension of life. To hear shows another dimension of life. To smell another. To taste another. And to touch is another. And each of those fields are quite distinct. Quite distinct. Colour obviously distinct from a sound. Sound from a smell. Smell from a taste. Taste from a touch. And yet the meeting place is what in the inner life it draw, they're drawn together by the 
experience of the human being who brings all that and it allows and enables all of that to come together in the mind and what the mind does with it determines everything. All meeting together through the sense doors which are open, closed, half open, whatever they might be and enter into the field called the mind. Then he goes on. He says, When for you there is only the seen, the heard, the sense, and the cognized, and the cognized meaning that recognition of something not necessarily connected with the senses. So, the cognized in this case, the reference point here would be there is just the memory is cognized, the, a thought is cognized, a plan is cognized, uh, a view is cognized, a feeling is cognized. The simple, bare attention to the barest of facts, barest of information. And he says, when seen, heard, sensed and cognized is seen just as seen, heard, sensed and cognized, he said, you will not be, quote, thereby. But these things can be a little uh, 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 hard to stand, especially at six o'clock in the morning. You will not be thereby. And what's that meaning? What's that referring to? With the seen, heard, smell, taste, etc., thereby I come to be. In the, in the formation of it, there's the world that's around us. And when we take up the world, we say, well, thereby I am. And through that, as we were discussing and exploring today in the room next door, you say, here is my role. Here is my identity in life. And my role and identity is through the selecting out of what is around me, things are picked out which are around me, and thereby I exist. Thereby my role, my identity, comes to be through what I pick out which in its relationship to what? to the me to the I to the self so the I is in relationship to what some things of what we see and hear smell and taste which we select and pick out and then the I arises think about it anything 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 which matters to you, which you see, hear, smell, taste or touch. There's a certain selecting out of it and the self reveals itself. Think of anything that you've said today in your mind you've liked or you disliked. It could be the general. I really like being here. It might be a minority view, but it does happen. Uh, it might be 
a particular, what is called nimitta in Pali language, that means the, one sees something about somebody, and most of it one likes. But the little bit one picks out, and says, oh, I don't like. So sometimes it's the general, sometimes it's the general gets huge. Life. I don't like life. Why was I born? <laughs> and sometimes it's a, it's a p- particular, the way somebody you know, scratches their head or something like that. So there's the, there's the selecting out. Through the selecting out, I come to be. My idea of what is, of what matters, of what's important, arises through that. So he says, if in the scene there's just a scene, in the herd there's just a herd, in the sense there's just a sense, in the cognizer there's just a cognizer, you will not be there by, understand is it clear? You will not be there by, if there's just a scene, herd smells, because there's no I to arise thereby. Something's got to be taken up, pulled out, either in the general or the particular, and then the I can arise. Then he says, takes it a little step further. Yeah, I must say, all credit to the Buddha, definitely had some insight. (laughs) He says, when you are not thereby, you will not be therein. When you are not thereby, you will not be therein. What's this guy going on about? What does it mean not to be therein? When we pick out the general or the particular, therefore the eye establishes itself. When the eye establishes itself, it gets involved in it. Sometimes days, weeks, months, years, or sometimes quite momentarily. And then we say, I'm involved in all of this. I'm trapped in all of this. I am in all of this. Whatever it might be. One person was referring to their relationship and retreat to um, particular groups. And they're anywhere else, or here, doesn't matter. And through association, through the selection, through the building up of uh, image, through the exclusion of etc., there's a point when one says, that's where I am, and therein I exist. Therein I have my life. Therein in my family. Therein in my work. Therein in what I do. Therein in my commitment, or whatever. So either thereby, or therein, the self finds itself, it gets, feels trapped and stuck in all of that, and it seems terribly, terribly real. And we've probably therefore had the experience of being so much therein to something, whatever it might be, relationship, work, study, life, whatever it might be, that there has been, from within, a rebellion against it and a thought of the let me get out. 
the strength of my desire to get out is because I really felt therein. If I didn't start off with that, we wouldn't have the problem in the second place. In the seen, there is just a seen. In the heard, there is just a heard. In the sense, there is just a sense. In the cognized, there is just a cognized. You don't have to live a life of thereby or therein. He says, he takes, doesn't rest, doesn't rest there. He says to uh, Bahia, when you are not therein, you will neither be here nor there nor between the two. When you are not thereby, you will not be therein. When you are not therein, you will neither be here, nor there, nor between the two. I said, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Self arises. And it arises in relationship to. Thereby I exist. It gets involved. Thereby, or therein I am. And there is that forgetfulness or loss of pure, bare attention which says, in the scene there is just a scene, etc. You should train yourself to see that well and clearly. When one isn't neither thereby nor therein, one's neither here, we're talking about self now, nor there, nor in between. In a situation where it's thereby, one can feel stuck and trapped, therein even more stuck and trapped, and we want to get where? Somewhere else. We want to get as far away from it as possible. And the only way that we know to do that is either to get rid of what is seen and heard and smelt and tasted and touched, and sometimes people do that in all manner of tragic ways, obviously. Or, get ourselves away. But it's all dependent on thereby and therein. All dependent on the relationship which has occurred and the interpretation which is made. In the training, let's just see the scene as the scene, the herd as the herd, the smelt as the smelt. If that's understood well and clearly, we don't feel thereby, therefore we don't feel stuck here, therefore no trying to get somewhere else, no in-between. We can discover and realise in the midst of the scene, the herd, smelt, etc., a timeless liberation. This, he says, is the end of suffering. This is the end of suffering. In the scene, it's just a scene in there, it's just there, just very deep and beautiful. And the here, standing there, six o'clock in the morning, getting this ten-line uh, statement of what liberation is, in the space of a, a few sentences and 
didn't have to go through the training realised on the spot what was being said and was liberated right there, there understood the problem of life had gone out that there is no real truth in their eyes and therein through this just seeing just hearing just smelling just tasting just touching just just uh, cognizing beautiful teaching as the, as the, uh, the Buddhist world would say Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu to the Buddha. Well said, well said, well said. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings live with insight. May all beings live with wisdom and joy in their freedom. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, shall we please? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.